I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to a very special Roker Report Extra Pod. I'm Brett Lyons-Davis and now regular listeners to the Exiles pod will know that I'm normally joined by a panel of lads fans spread across the world and we discuss the goings-on in Sunderland and speak to somebody to represent the weekend's opposition. And that's pretty much the case, you know, for this pod. You know, we do have Bomber chatting to Kaz May at the Bristol Gascast pod. And I am joined by a regular Exile uh, panellist. That's Michael Dunn from Dublin. Michael, how are you? All good, Brett. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you, mate. You ready for the start of the season? Buzzing for it, yeah. It's been too long now. Can't believe it's, it's been, been f- six months nearly. It's unbelievable, isn't it? So that first league game is literally days away. But as I said, this pod was a very special pod for my third panellist. I think the word legend is thrown around a lot. But when I say I'm joined by a genuine Sunderland legend, I don't think I'm overselling it. Now, they say don't meet your heroes, but I'm joined by a man who scored 130 goals in 235 appearances for Sunderland. He is still the only Englishman to win the European Golden Boot. It's only Super Kevin Phillips. How are you, Kev? I'm good, thanks. It's always nice to hear that introduction. It never gets boring. I bet it doesn't. I'll be honest, I had two options. I thought I would do that way, or I just introduce you as Kev from Stevenage. Yeah, listen, <laughs> I've been called everything over the years, so if you had of, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but I must say, you're always guaranteed a good intro whenever you've got anything to do with Sunderland, mate. Um, so, fantastic to have you on board. Really looking forward to today's pod. I must start, though, because there is a bit of a... Well, if I don't, there'll be an elephant in the room. And he'll be an elephant with a big beard holding an energy drink can. William Story uh, put on his Twitter yesterday a photo of yourself and him at St George's Park. Well, I'll be very blunt. You know, what's the score with that, then? Coincidence. <laughs> Purely coincidence. He's not. Uh, you, you're not a blue chip uh, no. backer. Coincidence. End of. Move on. Perfect. We'll go straight on from there then. So, <laughs> let's talk about Aston Villa last night. So we've um, started a season unbeaten. We had two cup games, two glorified pre-season friendlies. A nil-nil followed by a defeat on penalties to Hull, which was a decent performance. And then an eight-one hammering of a uh, Villa under twenty ones yesterday, which. Uh, it was really men versus boys, I think, at the end of the day. Kev, yourself, what, what your sort of like thoughts on that? You know, is that set us up well for the start of the season? Well, I think, yeah, of course it does. Um, I was working Saturday, so I was watching the results come through. And, of course, 
I was actually working for Soccer Saturday, so I was listening to the show in my head and Clinton Morrison was covering the game up at Sunderland and they kept going to him saying how Sunderland are not winning the game, how they're not leading the chances they're creating, but they just couldn't find the back of the net. So, of course, when they lost on penalties, you, you kind of think it's not a great start to the season, is it? You know, having not been able to hit the back of the net, but then losing on penalties. But then they go and follow it up, of course, with a with a magnificent result last night. Although, you know, it is men against boys, it'll be a great confidence booster for everyone concerned. Certainly the strikers. I think Danny Graham, of course, coming back to the to the club, getting off the mark as quickly as he did. O'Brien as well, who's a new signing. I think White got two as well. So good signs for the start of the season against Bristol Rovers at home on Saturday. So it can only can only be good news for, for Phil and, and and obviously the squad. So a massive, huge confidence booster for, for them going into the game. No matter who you play, you know, if you beat anyone 8-1, you, you've certainly played well on the night. No, that's exactly it. Um, Michael, I'll pass over to yourself as well. You know, obviously, you know, what are your sort of initial thoughts going into the weekend's first league game of the season? Echo what Kevin was saying there, I suppose, about the strikers getting on the score sheet. Um, as he White got two, O'Brien, Graham. I was sort of worried after last Saturday when um, Greg got two disallowed goals and then misses the only penalty in the shootout. But by all accounts, he's come back sharp, fit, uh, looking strong. So, um, yeah, it was definitely important for the strikers to get in the score sheet because that's probably one of our biggest issues was last season was that none of our strikers were scoring enough goals. White, I don't think, even got anywhere near double figures. Um, I get the vibe, obviously, knowing Aidan O'Brien from um, obviously playing for Ireland as well. He seems like a kind of a confidence player. Uh, so it might have been good, obviously, very good for him to get an early goal uh, going into the start of the season. So you, you'd hope after scoring eight goals yesterday and also the likes of Scowen who came on, got a goal, set up a couple, you, you'd like to think that the team are going in with a bit of form going into Saturday. Obviously, I know we mentioned the strikers there. So looking at the game so far, so as you said, Griggs, he scored two disallowed Saturday and obviously missed a penalty. The other lads all got on the score sheets last night. Kev, if I come to you, um, I know one thing I wanted to sort of mention about was sort of like the confidence in in strikers. I know you made comments um, the other day regarding uh, Grig not... Well, I think the actual headline itself was a little bit um, over-exaggerated what your comments were. I know you sort of said, you know, you'd like Grig to prove you wrong and get 20 goals. Do you think he's come back this season, though, looking like he can do that more now? Or are you, are you still concerned about him? I, I always like to give someone the benefit of the doubt. Um, I know, you know, when you come to Sunderland, what the huge pressure was, you know, come for big money, the pressure was on him to score goals. And I, you know, I said at the beginning, I was excited about the signing because he was certainly a player when I was working at Derby and Stoke, he was on our radar, someone that, that was of interest of us. So when Sunderland signed him, I was really excited. But like every Sunderland support, I was, I was very, very disappointed with the return. Certainly the goals return, but not just that, I just think his all-round general work rate and his all-round play just for me wasn't good enough. So, you know, I, I give I give someone the benefit of the doubt in terms of it's the pressure was there. Um, so I'll be very very interested now. You know, like you, from from what I hear, that he's come back very sharp, which I would expect anyway. You know, because I would expect him to want to come back with a mentality that he wants to prove people wrong. So I sincerely hope that he does. I hope he proves me wrong and. You know, I certainly spent a, my career of having to prove people wrong and I, and I enjoyed doing that and I lived up to that pressure and I hope that, that Will does that. So maybe not having a crowd, for the, certainly until October, might help him a little bit. Um, but certainly, you know, not getting off the mark on Saturday and then not getting on the score sheet last night. You know, having been there, 
you know, the pressure will start mounting. If he doesn't get a goal at the weekend, again, people will be talking about him. So I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he proves all the Sunderland supporters wrong. But, you know, Danny Graham's off the mark straight away. So he'll be going into the weekend full of confidence. So I, I, I didn't see the headlines, you know, what was written about, you know, my comments. But I, I just hope that he, he proves me wrong and a lot of people wrong. It was, um, it was interesting that you, you mentioned about the um, not having the crowd there. And I, I actually said the survey similar thing um, the other day. I do think, you know, cause he does seem to be one of those players that he needs to have confidence, he needs to have backing. But when, you know, the Sunderland crowd aren't always the easiest, I'm sure you'll agree, if things aren't going right for you. How would you find yourself playing in front of no fans? Would you find that difficult? I'd find it very difficult because I, like I always like to play in front. I like to showcase, you know, my, what I was all about. I would find it very, very difficult now to not play in front of anyone. I, I'd find it very hard, you know, to be honest. But maybe it's just the era that I played in to, to, to get myself highly motivated to not be playing in front of fans. And that's my own personal opinion. But some players will thrive on that because the pressure's not there. I, I always wanted to perform in front of a crowd and, and I certainly enjoyed that. So, you know, that might just be, you know, the stepping or the springboard that, that we all need, you know, to not have that crowd, maybe get a few goals before they start filtering back into the, to the stadium. And, 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 and if he does that, you know what the Sunderland crowd are like. They'll certainly get right back behind him. And if he continues to score goals and, and help the club hopefully get promotion, and he could turn out to be, you know, uh, I wouldn't say a legend for the club, but a hero, certainly a hero if he helps them get promoted. No, and, and at the end of the day, that, that's what we all want. And, you know, echoed what you said. I hope that he sort of proves everyone wrong this season and he can be the man to fire us the goals. I actually do think, in a way, it might help now that we've got more competition up front. You know, you've got Aidan O'Brien and you've got Graham as well coming in. Who can, you know, they've shown this week they can score goals. So I think that would be a definitely, you know, a, a motivation, I think is probably the better word for him. What have you seen much of um, Aidan O'Brien? Are you impressed with that, as a, with him as a signing? All right, do you know what? I, I have to be honest, I don't know a lot about him, but I obviously know the guys down at Millwall, Gary Rowett, who I worked with. I made a couple of phone calls and texts just to find out a bit more about the lad, and, and they spoke very, very highly of him. They said that he's got good movement. He certainly knows where the goal is. And, and, and for me, you know, the most important thing was that they believed that that level, League One, he would score goals, no problem whatsoever. And you saw with the finish last night when he cut inside, you know, just that little backlift. Um, and he whips it into the far corner. That's a sign of a player who knows where the back of the net is. So, you know, I like to think that it will thrive in League One. It looks like, again, you know, the pressure's off. That monkey's off your back when you get your first goal. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to see the kid go on a run now. He's young, he's enthusiastic. I know he's, he's really excited about coming to a huge football club. I suppose he knows that, you know, if you look down over the, over the years, if you score goals for Sunderland and and do well and help them get promotion, you you can become a cult hero. So he certainly got off to a very good start. One question I wanted to ask you about him, because I, I was actually asked the same question of one of the other lads, um, obviously being a, a Southerner myself. Now, one of the, the Millwall fans that we spoke to had a slight concerns with him being like a, a London boy. Could he make the move up north and, and will it be a bit of a culture shock for him? Yourself being from Stevenage, going to Sunderland, how did you actually find... The move itself. Did you settle in the area? Okay. Yeah, I, I would have to say, and you're right. I think that the northern people in general are so accommodating. You know, they're very, very passionate about their game. But I just think, in general, you know, and I'm not having a go at southern people because I'm a southerner. <laughs> but there's at least southern 
Americans are a lot more ignorant than than people in the northeast. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. To be fair, <laughs> I've, I've lived in the south and I've lived down in Southampton. Yeah, the further north you go, they're, they're so friendly. They'll make him feel welcome. But again, listen. At the end of the day, it's simple. If he goes there and scores goals, he'll become a hero. And wherever he goes, you know, people will be. I want to talk to him, and and he'll settle in very quickly. And you know, I always remember Glenn Roder telling me when he was my manager at Watford when I was going to Sunderland, he just gave me the best bit. Well, I wouldn't say it was the best bit of advice, but he gave me a bit of advice that that stuck with me forever. He, he said, "Listen, Kev," he said, "the Northeast is the best place to play football." when things are going well. He said, but believe me, when things ain't going well, it's the worst place to play. <laughs> so um, at the moment, it looks, you know, he's got off the mark and he can play that He can play that wide role. I think he can play just in behind a striker as well. And I think he can play that striker role. So he's he can play in various positions. So at the moment, you know, it, it, it's looking good for him. No, that's good. And I will keep, while, while we're talking about the strikers, I will mention also then, so Danny Graham's, come back to the club obviously I know I'll say we spoke before when you know you could have come back when before you went to West Brom um, obviously you had a, an amazing legacy that there, there's also a risk if you came back you could damage your you know your, your good legacy you've got you know even the high standings you've got with the Sunderland fans well do you feel like Danny Graham's got a bit of a point to prove more than he think yeah definitely and I think he knows that he ain't daft he's an experienced player I actually think he'll do well I think League One I think he'll boss it um, I watched him a fair bit last year for Blackburn. He still looks like he's got that hunger and desire. So, you know, at the end of the day, if he didn't want to come back and prove anything, he wouldn't have come to the club. He knows what the pressure's like up there. So, you know, I think he, he knows that he could stand out in League One. And, and given the service, you know, with the players that Sunderland have got in that, in, in that league, I think he'll score goals. I think he'll get in the right areas. And again, you know, it'll do him the world of good getting off the mark last night. So I, I actually think, it's a very shrewd signing from from Phil Parkinson, and I certainly, I certainly, you know, if we were sitting here for two, three months down, and I still talking, I think Danny Graham will be sitting on close to double figures. That's good to hear. And for yourself, do you ever look back and wish or wonder if you'd made that decision to come back, or is it? Are you pleased you you, you didn't do? It? Obviously, I know you say for family reasons, but do you ever wonder what if? Yeah, there's always that what if, isn't there? But uh, I think I made the right decision. Uh, my initial reaction when Quinny rang me and, and said, would you come back, was uh, without even thinking about it, was yes. But when I had time to think about it and you sit and you speak to your family and you speak to people that are close to you, it, it would have been very difficult for me to go back up there and emulate you know, what I had achieved before. And I, and I think you're better off just leaving that legacy as it was. Because you know, if I'd have gone up, I always, I always think back to when Robbie Fowler went back to Liverpool. Yeah. As much as he's a legend, it wasn't the same, was it, when he went back? And although he didn't tarnish his reputation, you know, I, I just didn't want to run the risk of that. So I, I think I made the, the right decision. But there's always that what if, isn't there? There's always yeah. that what. But I, I think generally I made the right decision. I think that, that, that's more than fair enough, to be honest. I will get uh, Michael back in because he, he sat there very patiently when we're chatting. Um, one thing I was wanting to bring up was that uh, Max Power has now been uh, named team captain with uh, Bailey Wright as vice captain and, and Grant Ledbitter club captain. Uh, Michael, do you think uh, Max is the right man for the job? Yeah, well, I suppose when you think about it, I mean, who who really were the options? You, you'd be looking at Max Power 
uh, Bailey Wright and obviously the three the, the three lads are actually kind of given the leadership roles uh, as well as Grant Ledbetter. But you, you, you'd, you'd assume that Grant is probably not going to play enough games to be the team captain as well. Bailey Wright, I, I, I would have probably gone for, but as well, Bailey Wright has had a, a good few injury issues over the last couple of seasons. So I think, yeah, on the main, Max Power, he seems to be a good, he seems to be a good choice. He's a natural leader. He seems to be very vocal on the pitch. He also seems to be very popular in the dressing room. I know you see these odd videos coming out here and there that like, but he seems to have a bit of crack and the lads seem to get along with him. So yeah, I think he's a good choice. I mean, he, he's been in this league a couple of seasons. He's been sunlight the while now so he knows he knows the club he knows what's needed um, and he's got out of this league before so you, you think in the main power is probably going to be the best choice because he'll probably play the most games as well yeah, Kev do you um do you agree with that because the only other sort of options might have been Jordan Willis maybe taking the role or Bailey Wright being being captain himself but do, do you agree with Max being there I, do you know what I have a I have a thing about captains for me you could have anyone as captain you know for me it, 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 you should have a it's an old saying, but you should have 11 captains out there. It's an armband, it's just an armband. I agree there with what Mike was saying in terms of he's got out the league, he looks like he's got a voice in the dressing room, it looks like he's going to play most of the games. But me personally, I probably would have liked to have seen either a Bailey Wright or a Jordan Willis, someone that can see the whole picture, everything that's in front of them, so that they can be talking to the players in front of them, got that bit more experience. So, but I haven't got, I haven't got an issue with that. For me, you know, captain. anybody could be a captain for me I I expect everyone to lead by example and I'm sure Max will do that he'll take that on board and uh, you know it's a responsibility that Phil you know he's still a young Phil wouldn't have given him the captaincy if he didn't believe that he could could handle it so good luck to him good luck to him when you um, so I know saying that you know you, you would like to see sort of 11 captains on the field would you say that you like yourself and your experiences? Would you say you've, you've had someone who is though the, the ideal captain? Well, well, Sunderland or anywhere really? Well, you'd have to say, of course, Kevin Ball wasn't he? He was a natural captain. He was a natural leader uh, on and off the pitch, very focal. But at that time, we had players on the pitch that you know it was an era where no one was afraid to say anything. Everyone spoke up. Everyone spoke their mind. I think everyone led by example on the pitch. So, but Kevin Ball, yeah, was that natural one, you know, even to, to this day, you know, when you meet him, you just know that Kevin Ball's around when he's in a room because he's got that presence. So, yeah, for me, he was the natural leader in our dressing room. Um, but for me now, you know, nowadays I want to see, having been, been a coach in, you know, in a few dressing rooms now, I see too often players just sitting there and accepting things and, and keeping quiet. I, I, I want to see people speak their mind and not be afraid to do that. And I'd like to think that, the dressing room at Sunderland this season will, will be like that because you can't have players in there thinking stuff and can't say it. They're too scared to say it because that doesn't get you anywhere. So I'm, I'm hoping the dressing room this year will be a lot more vocal. Do you think that sometimes, because there was the talk this week with Aidan McGeady, but there was a radio interview where he, he basically wants another chance at Sunderland and he, the, the quote was, he, he, whatever, whatever people think happened um, between me and the manager, I think it should remain a football decision. Now, there was an interview that uh, Lewis Morgan did where I think it sounded like uh, McGeady was berating other players who weren't up to his standard. And obviously he's an exceptional League One footballer. But on the same day that this was announced, um, Jamajli actually got his squad number. What do you think should happen to McGeady? Would you rather see him playing for Sunderland or would you think, you know what, the time's done, cut all sort of uh, chords with him? Well, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you, you, you have to think as a manager, what's best for the dressing room? 
you know, what's going to keep the harmony, you know, keep the team spirit right. And if, and if you have someone there that's upsetting the apple cart week in and week out, then for me, you have to get rid of that. But, you know, it seems like Aiden's saying the right things. I think ultimately, you know, if you can get the best out of him as a player, well, he's the best player in that league when he's on form, isn't he? You know, it's, it's no, there's no player like him in the league. And, you know, for me, I'd be desperately trying to get the best out of him week in and week out. If he wants to stay and he wants to play, but he has to do it in the right manner, fall in within those guidelines in the dressing room. He can't be, you know, upsetting people. I think he has to accept now it's League One. They're, you know, they're League One players. He might feel he's not a League One player, but you are. Been there now, what, a season, two seasons? Go and help these young players. Go and use your experience and help them get out of this league and, and show everyone, you know, what a top player you are because he certainly is that on his day. So I'd like to see him have a right go this season and, and lead by example on the pitch week in and week out. Michael, as, as an Irishman, um, so I suppose I better come back to you. <laughs> what would be your thoughts on um, Aidan McGeady coming back into the team? You know, like... I know I've been slagged before for my Irish bias towards McGeady over the last couple of seasons when I'm doing these podcasts, but I, I, I do think probably like you'd love to see McGeady come in and uh, make a difference and have a, an important role in the squad, but it just sort of seems like his time's, his time's up now. Um, I, I, like There's obviously rumours of whatever happened last season between him and other players, but as, as Kevin said, like on his day, he's a f- fantastic footballer, definitely the best in the league, but he has a bit of an attitude about himself, probably thinks he's better than some of the players in the squad. That probably frustrates him nearly um, in training and stuff. He, he probably he probably expects higher standards, but I think there's maybe too, too much water under the bridge for McGeady to come back in. Um, I can't see Parkinson bringing him back in either because I think Parkinson's is happy to move on without him. So I think maybe it may be a best interest for everyone if McGeady moves on, unfortunately, because you, you, you'd rather him stay and get us out of the league. No, that's fair enough. And so, from from my point of view on that, I, I you know, I, although I agree saying that you know, Kev, that he's a, a phenomenal player, and my, my only concerns would be is you know where we said you know we're getting quite a good team spirit going um, for what you're seeing on on like the social media and stuff like that. So it's um, it is always a bit of a concern. Although he is an absolutely attacking wise, it's someone you really need. So it's a really it's a really difficult one. Um I think it may be best just to let him go personally. Um but then that does mean we need others to kind of like step up to the plate. And that kind of does sort of lead me on to, to my next question there, Kevin. We were speaking about the strikers earlier. Do you actually think that Sunderland as a team are attacking enough to help them? You know, you you've got the likes of the Maguire, you've got Gooch You've got um, Neil coming through. You've got a lot coming down the wings from Hume. Can we can we sort of help our strikers more? Because we weren't massive scores last season. No, of course you can. You can always. I only scored most of my goals because I had the supply. You know, I wasn't the sort of a player like a Thierry on Wee who could drop into your own half, turn around, and take everyone on and score a goal. You're only as good as the the chances that are created by your teammates. And and you're right. At times last season. I thought Maguire and Gooch went through a spell, you know, uh, uh, towards the just, you know, not too long before lockdown, where they were creating opportunities uh, for the strikers, and unfortunately, you know, the strikers weren't taking those chances. Whereas now, you'd like to think if those players can recreate those that form, those wide boys, the offensive players, and create the chances for the likes of the Graham and the O'Briens, who are two new players, who you know, are be dying, busting the gut to, to, of course, 
make an impact, you'd like to think that, you know, things might be a little bit different. So, you know, I want to see the form again from the Maguire, the Gooch, you know, power breaking forward as well and, and getting getting the odd goal from midfield. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm really excited about it, but I'm very intrigued to see, you know, the start of Sunderland. You know, certainly the, the first game I expect them to, it won't be easy, but I expect them to get a result. And then I think the next two or three fixtures are fairly difficult. It'll be a big test for them. Um, so but I'm very intrigued to see how they start. How would you go about with, with, with going back to like to the strikers there, getting um, like partnerships developed? Now, obviously, you you say Kevin Phillips, you think of Niall Quinn, and it almost seemed like you hit it off instantly, the pair of you. But then, obviously, you had the likes of um, Danny Diccio and Michael Bridges. How would you work try and get them partnerships that aren't quite as strong going, or, or not even as regular? I should say as well. Yeah, that's a question we always get asked, me and Quinny. From our situation, believe it or not, we never ever worked on it. It was just one of those that really put together and it worked. We spoke quite a lot, me and Quinny ourselves. The biggest bit of advice really only ever told me was never be any more than 10 yards away from Niall. Now, whether that's coming in front of him or running in behind, you know, I don't think you can really say that anymore because, you know, times have changed. Um, but yeah, of course, just working on the training ground, you know, and I'm sure Phil does that, you know, he's an experienced manager, he'll look at the various partnerships. I, you know, I personally, if you've got, if you've got an, a Graham, a Grig, you know, you've got a White, you've got an O'Brien, I, I, I would always like to see, why would you not try and get two strikers on a football pitch, two players yeah. that can score goals, certainly in League One, you know, I think defensively, I think some of them look quite strong. Uh, I think this new, this new lad who's come in, who I hear is very aggressive. I can't, I can't pronounce his name, but um, well, I, 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 I say Jumajli, and to be honest, I get a lot of our players' names wrong, so it could be anything. <laughs> no, but I, I'm hearing that he's very, you know, he's very aggressive, very strong uh, defensively. So you know, whether Phil goes with a three at the back with Willis and uh, Bailey, you know, that to me, and then you have got your wing backs. You know, for me, that looks pretty solid. So there's an opportunity maybe to try and get two strikers on the pitch. So, but it is in terms of partnerships working, you don't know until you actually put them together and just, just see, but of course you, you need to have a, need to work on it on the training ground and in training matches just to see and, and, and swap them about to see which, which two you think, think, uh, think work the best. So for, for Saturday, who, who would you start up front out of those four? I would start Graham and, and O'Brien, the boys, yeah, who are hungry. Both got on the score sheet during the week. I think White's had his opportunity last year. I think at times it was very disappointing. Of course, Grig, you know, as much as I'd like to see him get going, I, you, you've got. I think you've, you've got to go with Graham and, and O'Brien, whether they go out as an out-and-out out two or one plays. You know, like I said, O'Brien can play as a number 10, just maybe in, just in behind Graham. Uh, but yeah, I'd certainly go with the two new boys because I think they'll be desperate and hungry to, to succeed. Michael, who are you going for up from? I'd definitely go with O'Brien. Um, and it's just two partners. I, I, I'd I, be inclined to just go with Grig, hoping and hope that if he gets an early goal in the first couple of games with no fans there, gets a bit of confidence into him. Um, you'd, you'd like to see him hit the ground running then on, for the rest of the season. But I see your Kevin's point as well. Graham's already on the score sheet. He's probably he's probably a level above this league. It's a toss between Graham and Grig, but I... I'd be inclined just to go for Greg in hope that if you get an early goal, he, he could he could have a good season. And one thing I wanted to ask, Kev, then, so regarding yourself um, 
as a player when when you're sort of using your prime. Do you think the game's changed? I know it was we're talking, you know, fifteen, twenty years ago when from then. Has the game changed completely differently to now? Um I know you said you like to have two up front, you know. Do you think you could work in a system where there, you know, you had to be the lone striker? Could you sort of fit into that Sunderland team as a striker with Gooch and Maguire off you, or would that do you think that would like not work? No, it wouldn't work. <laughs> I tried it. I tried it, and they really tried me playing, tried me up front on my own a few times. I hated it. You know, I'd always been brought up in a four-four-two system. Always been used to having someone alongside me. So you, when you play with a strike partner for so long you get used to making certain kinds of runs. You get used to, you know, not making runs. You get used to one coming short, one going long. Whereas the lone striker, when I went up top, I have to say I was very, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, I didn't know where I had to run in behind or come short. So, yeah, I, I, I would personally would struggle now. But, you know, these players now, when I watch a lot, I watch a lot of academy football, having lads in academy and, and it's, you know, it's almost the norm now, isn't it, to play with one up top and two inverted wingers, you know, that like to come inside and play off a striker. Um, and I think, you know, the, the art of the four four two system is gradually going out, which for me, you know, amazes me because, like I said, you know, it's, it's a system for me. Statistically, if you look at the teams that have been promoted out of the championship over the last 10 years, I think most of them, if I'm correct in saying, have played four four two. So the stats don't lie, um, but I understand that you know teams why they why they do play that four three three. I think I think things become fashionable, don't they? You get like like, like the Spain team of like the the, the tick attacker, and then you've got like Pep coming in and doing things at Man City. Um, but like I say, that the championship winning team for Sunderland when it was sort of like you and Quinn up front. With Summerbee, um, Johnson on the, on the wings, you had the likes of Clark in the middle with Alex Ray, or you know, that just demolished teams. Yeah, I think yeah, I think uh, you know a lot of people are scared to buck the trend, aren't they? Because they're scared to get criticised because it is it's almost like oh it's old school. Mm. But you know why is it old school? It, it's it's just you know it's a system. Systems mean nothing in in a way. You know, it, it's it's finding the right players to, to fit. You know, it's, I think systems, you can get it wrong if you try and play a system like playing players out of position. If you go with a four four two, you've got to play the right players in the right position. And for me, you know, if it's old-fashioned, you play a right-footed right, right footed player on the right-hand side, you play a left-footed player on the left-hand side, and, you know, you, you can go that way. Um, and, but I also understand the four-three-three, where you play the inverted wingers. You know, a, a left footer on the right and a right left footer on the left, so they can come inside, play off a central stri- striker, and then you get one of your, your advanced midfield players running on. So I get that. But yeah, so systems, you know, systems baffle me sometimes. But it's I think we we as coaches or as managers make it more difficult than than what it should be. Yeah, I think I say at the end of the day, it's a very simple game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's the managers that make it more difficult. <laughs> well, as I was watching the Villa game last night, it seemed to be young players at the back can't head the ball anymore. It's just seems. Yeah, they don't practice it no more. And it's, you know, I, when I was a coach at, at Stoke and Derby, we, we did a lot of unit work. So I would obviously take the strikers, you'd have a midfield coach and he'd have a defender, defensive coach and then when we'd come in afterwards and we'd analyse and sit and chat about it a defensive coach would come in and pull in his hair out saying they don't want to edit anymore 
you know, it's just the old-fashioned looping balls into the box, go and attack it and head it away. He said they were just like they were moaning after 10 minutes because they had to head the football. It's just so the art of heading the ball, certainly defensively, is, is not what it used to be. You know, 10, 15 years ago. I think the two are afraid to mess the hair up. I think that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> no hair dryers in their dressing room. No, that's exactly it. Um, right, we'll just um, take a very short break for talking to, to Michael and Kev, to Bomber, who is talking to Kaz May at Gascast Pod, talking about this week's game. Good evening, Bomber here for another preview game this Saturday. It is our opening game of the season against Bristol Rovers. And I'm delighted to be joined today, a little bit further down the M5 than myself, Kaz from Gascast. How are you doing, Kaz? I'm good, thanks for having me on. Good, yeah, it's good to have you, good to have you. Um, This is probably going to be one of the most West Country uh, Sunderland chats that we'll have, um, me being from from Gloucester. Um, But we'll um, we'll jump straight into it. Um, So we are... Well, we're six months down the line from um, the the last game of, of both of our seasons, which happened to be against each other. Um, and as fate would have it, we are we're also the first game of, of this upcoming season. So I think that game was on the tenth of March. So we're pretty much bang on six months ago. That game, uh, in my opinion, and I'm sure in the opinion of a, of a number of fans, cost us the the playoffs ultimately. Um, as Sunderland went down two 0 thanks to two goals from uh, from Clark Harris. Um, that result put you 10 points clear relegation. And I know the kind of lockdown and the suspension of the season happened not too long after that. Um, but what was the feeling around the fan base after that game in terms of your push for, for League One safety? Did you feel you, you did it, you kind of halfway there or, or pretty much there? Or was there still some concern for the rest of the season? Yeah, to be honest, I don't think we were ever worried about relegation. Um, it was... It, we were actually flying when we were under Graham Coglin before he left us to go to Mansfield. Um, so it was only when Ben Garner took over. And to be fair to him, it wasn't his squad. Um, he's had to deal with a difficult situation of dealing with a load of players that he he doesn't really know very well. And he has to try and change it to his system. And it, it kind of didn't click. Um, so then we went on an awful run, just started sliding down the table. And um, it was, this Sunderland game was sort of looked for us like the moment where it clicked for Ben Garner. Um, because it was the best that we'd seen all season performance-wise, even taking in Graham Coglin's performances into account. And when he got us up to, I think the highest we were is second on Boxing Day. Um, and even despite all of that, it was definitely the best performance um, we'd seen from the team all season. Um, so it's, it was more of a shame for us that it felt like we'd he'd finally got it and it was working and then coronavirus struck and then we couldn't play any more games so I don't think anyone ever really feared relegation I think we knew that we were probably going to finish mid-table mm. um but yeah the bit the biggest uh, thing for us was that we we didn't get to see any more of that liquid football that came from that one <laughs> game from Pangana yeah I think it was definitely it was definitely one of one of Rover's best games and, and I think it was probably if not one of the worst Sunderland performance it's certainly one of the most frustrating um because we we really saw that as an opportunity and you know we'd only played you guys uh, a few weeks before and had, and had won 3-0 so I think a lot of Sunderland fans were going into that game thinking it was not necessarily going to be a formality but certainly one that we would expect to win um and like I said as it happened with the season finishing us not getting anything from that game essentially cost us a, a, a playoff place so I think it's something that, that Sunderland fans are going to be looking forward to on Saturday and hoping for you know to exercise that ghost a little bit but we, we mentioned there um, Clark Harris 
Um, and he was the difference between the two teams on the day. Um, he scored one and then got another, uh, got a penalty, I think, if my memory serves me right. However, Sunderland fans might not be aware that he actually won't be lining up against us on Saturday. Um, he's gone to Peterborough to replace, well, theoretically, to replace Ivan Tony. Um, so what was the fan reaction to that transfer, losing someone who appeared to be, you know, so crucial for you last year? The reaction was sort of, it wasn't, it was surprising really with the fan base because we kind of expected it. Uh, mm. We kind of expected it in January, to be honest. And I'm surprised that he didn't, he actually had no offers in January. He was injured, which may have you know, played a part in him not getting anything at all. But um, yeah, the fans were sort of happy enough to take, because the rumour is we took 1.25 million, mm. which for us is a record fee. Um, so from our point of view, we'd much rather him go now because he would have been out of contract in a few months time anyway, or, or towards yeah. the end of the season. And he would have gone for free. Um and really, if I'm honest, his attitude changed from the moment he realised he was one of the best strikers in the league. It was, you know, right. how they get is, you know, I'm I'm too good for this now. Other te- other teams want me, and he wanted to leave. He wanted to leave in January. So for us, if he's going to be a bad egg and he's going to be, you know, throwing tantrums and he doesn't fit in Bengana's style of play anyway. Mm. So for us, we thought, you know, let Bengana get in someone who does fit his system, and uh, hopefully we could get two players out this 1.25 mil and. Yeah. Um, and it, and it will work. I don't think Ben Garner really wanted him in the team anyway. So it's kind of like a nice mutual, you know, feeling around the fan both base. Teams, bo- both parties in the end. Yeah. And, you um, know, we wish him luck and we don't, there's no qualms about it from our end. And yeah, I hope he does well. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess he can't be accused, even though he might have kind of kicked up a bit of a fuss, I guess you can't accuse him of downing tools because um, he still, from that New Year period, still continued to score, didn't he? And probably ended up helping his move through to, to Peterborough once that once they did lose Tony. So you said, you know, the hopes and aspirations were to get that 1.25 mil and, you know, find a couple of suitable replacements. Have you gone about getting a replacement for him or anyone who does come? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. We... In short, no. <laughs> I mean, it, well, let's give them time. But uh, yeah, we haven't uh, had anyone yet. It's a bit of a shame because... There's been a few players uh, that have been available and gone elsewhere, like mm. likes of um, Reese Healy from MK Dons. I thought he might have fit quite nicely, um, but he's gone elsewhere. Uh, Humphreys in Southend is another, uh, he's handed in a transfer request, so hopefully he's another one we can look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I understand that it's it's not been that long and maybe Ben Garner wants to find the right couple of players um, to you know fit his style of play and everything. So um, yeah, we haven't got anything yet, and I doubt we'll get it before Saturday. So yeah. no worries for you guys there. Yeah, well, there's still quite a long way to go in the in the transfer window, so I'm sure something will will crop up. Um, and you know, from what I gather from Ben Garner, from speaking to Max before and and speaking to yourself before we started recording, you know, he does have a very definitive style of play. So he's probably being very particular in terms of what he wants. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's exactly it. He he doesn't like a target man, from what mm. I can see. So JCH just didn't fit what he wanted. Um, he plays football on the floor, a lot of nice passing play, whereas Graham Coglin before um, our old manager would hoof it upfield to, to JCH and JCH just does what he does best. So, yeah, he'll definitely be looking at, at players that will suit almost walking it into the goal because that seems to be what he wants to do at the moment. Okay. So what, what are your striking options currently then? So we've got Jonah Ayunga who came from Haven and Waterlooville. Um, mm-hmm. He scored quite a lot of goals there, but he's still quite raw. Right. Watched him last night in the EFL Trophy and he did get off the mark. I just think he's not got the confidence at the moment. He does mince around the ball for a bit too long. He's a bit hesitant. Um, he missed a lot of one-on-ones in pre-season. So you can tell he's not quite ready yet, but 
with the right trainer and he can get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got James Daly, who we signed from Palace. Um, he's yet to impress anyone at the moment, but oh, okay. Palace fans were gutted to lose him. Um, oh. So there must be something in him. Another another raw one then potentially to, to, to develop. Yeah. And then we've got Jaden Mitchell-Lawson, who can sort of play as a false nine as well, um, yeah. who we've got on loan for the season from Derby. Really highly rated player. Everyone's really excited to have him back. Um, and hopefully he can sort of, fill that void until we get a proper striker in hmm. okay well on the on the subject of of transfers and, and people coming in so one transfer that that's certainly Sunderland fans uh, may be interested in will be you signing Jack Baldwin after his release from Sunderland he you know he probably did, well, he didn't feature hardly at all for us uh, last season before we kind of shipped him off to, to Salford um, you've obviously signed him quite a few weeks ago now but has he featured much for you at all in pre-season and what are your initial thoughts of him um he featured a little not not a lot I mean it's hard to say it's too early for me to say mm. whether he's going to come good or not um the Ipswich game the Carabao Cup first game he featured um he started which I was surprised about I wasn't expecting to see him in the starting 11 um right. but Ben Garner played as a back three and it didn't it didn't work well at all and, and all three of them not just Jack Baldwin but all three of them had yeah. a really bad game right uh, and then interestingly I don't know if you've ever seen this from him but Yesterday in the EFL Trophy, uh, Garner played him in midfield, which was uh, quite no. a surprise. <laughs> yeah, quite. A surprise. I mean, I, I stand to be corrected on that, but I don't think we we ever played him in in a midfield role. No, he was always one of three centre backs, or there were a couple of times where we played four at the back, and he was one of two centre backs. We we never pushed him further forward. Ben Garner's just got that out, plucked that out of nowhere, really. Yeah. And it, it was it was a really strange decision. Um, surprised us, but um, didn't work. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of uh, stray passes. He lost the ball quite a lot. So um, yeah, I'm I'm going to give him a bit more of a chance as I always do. But from what I can see, he's not really a standout performer. Mm. As it stands, but well, he he was he was a bit of a it was a bit of a strange one for us because obviously we signed him and he was when we were expecting big things from him he became really really highly rated and his first couple of games we saw kind of glimpses of it but then he just he just kind of became very very um, error prone um, and echo what what you've just said really he gave the ball away a lot he made a few mistakes that might be why um, Garner pushed him into midfield because you know you can make those mistakes and not necessarily get punished as much for it as you would at centre back um, we. I think I think I speak for all the Sunderland fans saying we wanted him to do well. He he wasn't a bad um, character to have around. He he had a lot of personal issues when he was at the club, which meant that he kind of withdrew from from the squad altogether. And um, I don't think he played an awful lot for Salford either. So you know, it's a move that we all hope he gets his career back on track. Um, maybe not so much Saturday, but after Saturday, um, we we kind of wish him all the best because he, you know, the, the effort was there for for us, but circumstances just conspired against him. I think. So with, with other transfers, then obviously you've had Jack Baldwin's come in. You, you mentioned a couple of others at strikers. Have there any been other? Sorry, there been any other significant incomings or outgoings that that will mean that the starting lineup that we see on Saturday will be will be vastly different from the team we played in March? Yeah. So one of the biggest uh, ones for us was Zane Westbrook from. Coventry he was very highly rated at Coventry obviously they got promoted um and uh he, he's just a tidy little player in midfield um he's one of those players where you get excited about and then in pre-season he doesn't really shine so I'm yeah. hoping that I'm hoping that we'll see a bit more of him um once he plays sort of like a more competitive football um and Sam Nicholson as well uh, which we signed from Colorado Rapids um but he's also had a stint at Hearts. um those two are sort of quick 
nippy little players um, that sort of cover a lot of ground. Um, so those two, I would say, are probably the most exciting. Are they both wide players? Westbrook's centre mid and right. um, Nicholson's a wide player. Right. Nicholson sort of can, from what I can see from from doing research on, on his goals, that he can sort of ping it from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, uh, Westbrook we sort of have in the heart of midfield. Um, so I, those two, I would say, are the ones to look out for ahead of Saturday um, because they're the ones that were probably our most exciting signings. And Aimer as well, actually, to be fair to him, he was a captain at Gillingham. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a great game on Saturday in the Carabao Cup, but uh, he was their captain and he's highly rated and he's the str- he should be <laughs> a strong, solid <laughs> defender. So, yeah, those three. Yeah, I guess time, time will tell with that. Um, so you mentioned about the, the Carabao Cup. So uh, and obviously we've had the EFL Trophy as well. So officially the season's two games, two games old. But with those two games, and it looks like you've had a pretty busy pre-season schedule with some some more local friendlies. I've seen you play at Exeter and Cheltenham. Um, so so how has things gone on the pitch for you pre-season? And and obviously the two games that, that we've already played. So pre-season looked a, a lot more promising than it mm. than, than the last two games, right. which, which <laughs> is really when frustrating. It yeah, you kind of <laughs> yeah. want it to be the other round, don't you? Um, so Ben Garner's obviously got this system and this formation, which is three four three, which worked really well in pre-season. Um, we had some great games against Cheltenham, um, Cardiff as well, and Cardiff had a strong lineup. They had likes of uh, Kiefer Moore and Aidan Flint playing, so mm-hmm. um, it was quite an impressive. We only lost two one, and that was sort of our beating. So it was, it was quite impressive to watch. And like I said previously, with the football, uh, Ben Garner's football and his, his style is is very very nice to watch. It's just missing one or two things, and at the moment, it's just tidying up the defence. We're giving away five too many free headers at the moment um, and then finding that replacement for JCH that one person that you know is going to score goals because like I said Iunga's a bit too raw so yeah it's, it's good football and it's nicer to watch but whether we can keep those clean sheets and score the goals it's sort of just two little things I think he's nearly there with it but not quite yet that'll, that'll be the key thing won't it is, is replacing Clark Harris's goals yeah and like I said if you've got two raw strikers um, they could be anything I guess so yeah, exactly. And, and like I said, with Nicholson and Jaden Mitchell-Lawson, they can ping it from anywhere and they can score mm. some good goals, but we can't rely on our outfield players to be doing that if that's not their role. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be nice to get someone in who's big, who's boisterous, got some experience. But, um, yeah, thank God we've got to the end of October to do that because I'd be seriously concerned because it doesn't seem like there's anything in the pipeline at the moment. Uh, right, so there's nothing kind of imminent either then. So, you know, when you, you sort of hear rumours, it's just, it's completely flat yeah. at the moment. So, um, yeah, nothing as of yet. So, like I said, I'm not confident we'll get anything before Saturday. Mm. But hopefully, yeah, in, in time, we'll get solid replacement for JCH. So, so, yeah. so, with that then, as things stand, and I guess it's difficult to say with there still being, you know, the best part of two months in the in the transfer window left, and, and you said you're crying out for, for a main striker. What... What are the fans' aspirations for, for this coming season as things stand? So fans are always optimistic or the season starts. So you start yeah. making sign-ins. I mean, with this transfer window, I would I would say this is one of the best I've ever seen. It, it's a really, really impressive window, which obviously fans are going to get excited about. Mm-hmm. I've heard a few predictions. A lot of people are expecting at least in the top 10. Okay. Uh, with others expecting playoffs um so quite high aspirations yeah. which yeah. have been shot down in, in these last <laughs> few games um but yeah i think with 
the money um, with the new training ground, a new stadium on the horizon. There's nothing mm-hmm. confirmed of that yet, but it's something that Rovers are looking to to start doing is is to move and get into a new stadium. Um, and our owner has uh, yeah splashed out on this new training ground and all this new equipment. So with all that taken into account, we are sort of expecting to start pushing this season. Yeah. If not this season, then next season. Um, but yeah, it obviously all depends on the team and, and the manager. With Ben Garner, he hasn't got any managerial experience apart mm. from last season where he, yeah, I think the record is two wins in 20 at the moment. So he's yeah. got a lot to prove himself as a manager. So it's it's down to him, but he has got a new team behind him. So we're hoping with all this that, yeah, at least yeah. top 10. Well, I guess this is the first opportunity that he'll have to um, kind of make his stamp on a team, won't it? He, did, he joined kind of, was it midway through January or early January? Midway through December. Oh, December, yeah. So I guess he would have had he would have had a January transfer window, but wouldn't know kind of much about the squad at all in that time. So, um, okay. So so looking forward to Saturday then. Um, so what sort of Bristol Rovers side should we expect to to be lined up against? I know you said that Ghana likes a you know a, a possession style of play to knock the ball around. So what what can we expect to line up against? So. I would hope that he would have looked at the Ipswich game and not start three at the back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that he may do five at the back this time, um, which is a bit more what he did last season. So normally I would say do three, four, three, but taking into account that you just scored eight <laughs> Tuesday, I beg <laughs> We're just as shocked to... at that as you are, believe yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> I beg of him to do five at the back. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see with that what he does defensive-wise. Um, I would say you probably would start... Aimer, Kilgore and Baldwin. If not, mm-hmm. if not uh, Kilgore, maybe you'll start Harry's um, sort of in the middle back three. Um, and yeah, I think what you can expect is a bit more passing round, sort of trying to walk it into the goal because we don't have JCH that can hit a, yeah. you know, hit a ball and score out nowhere at the moment. And from what I've seen from uh, the EFL trophy and from the Carabao Cup is it is a lot of just passing around the pitch and just trying to get it to, to score into a tap-in or whatever and JML to play as a sort of false nine role um, to, to be there at the box to try and try and score those opportunities so yeah I would say less long ball more pass in play mm-hmm. and hopefully it works this time but it's hard when you when you're up against big defenders and and you know our players aren't quick enough or, or not sharp enough but um, yeah it, it's, it's difficult it's difficult because these last two games he should be making changes yeah. but I can tell you what he has done but I'm hoping <laughs> that he doesn't do that <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, because the, the the last two results would suggest that it, something isn't quite right, and it, it, something does need to to change a little bit. Um, but yeah, so so what are you on the flip side of that, and what are you expecting to to come up against on Saturday? What sort of Sunderland side? Apparently now a, a rampant attacking, free scoring Sunderland team. Yeah, well, like I say, like the Saturday, obviously you drew nil nil, so I was thinking, mm. oh, maybe you know they they might be a bit dry on the goal score in front, and then I had a look last night, and I thought maybe <laughs> not. Um, yeah, I, I know you've just re-signed another striker as well in the past yeah. few days. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm a bit worried with him and Charlie White that, yeah, maybe we do need to go five at the back. I, mm-hmm. I, I would hope that we need to go full defensive and the best, that I think, personally, what we can hope for against you guys is a draw. Yeah. Because, it, you know, it's difficult with that. I know it's no home fan advantage, but it's still travel and it's away from home. Um, so... Yeah, I would if I if I was Ben Garner, I'd go five at the back, try mm-hmm. not to concede. Um luckily we've got Jacola back. Um he's been on international duty. Uh he's our keeper yeah. and he's been on international the past two games. And he's he's just a bit better command in the box. He's a better goalkeeper in general. Um so with him back, hopefully that'll make a difference as well. 
and yeah, just don't be too hard on us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, before uh, the Villa game, I would have I, I would have said that we I would be a little bit concerned about our our goal threat at front. So we, when we did play Hull, even though it was a nil nil draw, we could have won that game five or six nil um, if it weren't for for better finishing and we had a couple of goals disallowed. Um, Obviously, since then, we, we have scored eight. It still sounds absolutely baffling to, to be able to actually say that. Um, and all the strikers who, who were got on the pitch for any period of time, like like the, new, the person you just mentioned, Danny Graham, who we, who we re-signed only a couple of days before. Charlie White got two. Aidan O'Brien scored. Um, and there was a couple through the through the midfield and, and defence as well. Um you know, I, th- I think from a, as from a Sunderland point of view, I think we would probably go into that game quite confident. Um, not just because we're, we're we're free scoring, but what we have been is we've been very very good at the back as well. Um, we've also changed formation. We've changed to a three five two, and the, the th- our three first choice centre back. Um, you know, we've got Bailey Wright, who was Bristol City's club captain. Um, we've got Jordan Willis, who, in my opinion, was one of the best defenders in the league last season. Um, and then we've also signed um, a guy whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce just yet, but we call him Arby. He's a Kosovan international. Um, and yeah, those three should be pretty solid, particularly if you don't have a big target man and, and don't have a you know a central focal point from from a striking department. Um, and our you know our goal scorers are scoring goals at the minute, so you know I think we would come in quite confident. And if we can force you to play five at the back without a, a you know, a, then yeah, I would I would probably fancy our chances a little bit. I'm sorry to say. No, no, yeah. totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. And I, yeah. yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I think the best we can do is just defend, defend, defend. Um, because Garner's style of trying to walk it into the goal isn't going to work if you've got mm. if you've got solid defenders at the back that are just going to bully our. Because Sam Nicholson, Westbrook, they're quite small. They're quite skinny. Yeah. Um, the only one that we've got who could be quite boisterous is our younger. Um, but he's the one that's come from having a Waterlooville and he's quite raw. So mm-hmm. it's going to be quite, and he's got no confidence to shoot from anywhere. So yeah, yeah, I totally understand why, why you're confident. Yeah. It would be typical Sunderland for me to say that and then then make me my words and me look completely stupid and it wouldn't be the first time I'm, you know, probably end up coming away with nothing. Um, so, so on that then, Kaz, one final thing from, uh, from me is your prediction for, for Saturday um for Saturday's game um you can ha- have your heart rule or your head rule it's completely up to you but what would, what would you say as a prediction for Saturday my heart says nil nil <laughs> my head <laughs> says uh I, my head says we'll get another loss and it'll be yeah two nil loss um yeah it, it's it's just one of those things where it's a tough start to the season for us we've had Ipswich uh, which has mm. knocked our confidence and then last night further knocked our confidence um yeah. no replacement for JCH I just cannot see us scoring any goals hope I'm wrong hope I'm wrong um it, if we do it'll be someone creating out of nothing but yeah I'm gonna go with what my head says I'm gonna say uh 2-0 Sunderland win okay well that's that that matches my prediction so I'll um I'll be a very happy person indeed if that that comes true um like I said I think I think if we play our best uh back three um, I, I can I can see it's restricting you um, to to only a handful of chances. You've got a fancy to score after scoring after scoring eight, but um, we will see. But Kaz, thank you very much for your time this evening. Saturday um, being the exception, um, I wish you all the very best for the season. Um, hope after Saturday's game you manage to get your um, your main striker in and it can fire you up to the top half. Um, but for now, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Bomber there talking to Kazmay at Gascast Pod. So still with uh, Kevin and Michael, um, lads. I'll go to I'll go to you first, Michael, because I know Kevin's sort of hogging all the uh, chat. Imagine that. 
<laughs> so Saturday's game then. What's your uh, score prediction against Bristol? Bristol was the last game we played, wasn't it, before the lockdown? So um, we we were terrible. We were shocking. Yeah. Now you'd like you'd like to think we get off to a good start. I mean, like uh, we seem to be creating a lot of chances. The the fullbacks O'Nine and was it Hume were getting forward well. Um, O'Brien looked sharp. Even Greg looked sharp. We were just talking about that earlier on. Yeah, you'd you'd like to think first day of the season at home. You should be beating Bristol Rovers, really, if 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 you want to challenge for automatic promotion. So I I, I tentatively go for a, t- a two 0 win with Will Grigg hopefully to score. <laughs> <laughs> You're going two 0 Kev. What's your thoughts for the game on Saturday? Yeah, I, I, again, you know, for me, it, it has to be a win to get off. You know, get the season off to a flyer. Uh, so important that they get off to a good start. Of course, again, last night be a huge confidence booster for, for everyone concerned. So the players will be flying going into the game. But again, you know, like Michael said, there might be that slight bit of doubt in the back of their mind having beat, I think it was 3-0, wasn't it? Just before lockdown, losing down there. So, you know, there, there might be that slight bit of hangover. But I don't see anything more than a Sunderland win. Um, I'm, I, I'm actually going to go for a, a, a 3 I'm going to go for a three-nil Sunderland win. I fancy them to win quite comfortably at the weekend and get off to a get off to a flyer. Fingers crossed, you're right. Um, and in regards to the season, then, so obviously it's the first game this weekend. Um, I will say attentively, um, who do you think is going to challenge Sunderland for promotion? Um, Michael, what's your thoughts on uh, who's going to be up there with us? You know, it's kind of hard to know. You usually look at the lads coming there from the championship, but we obviously have the issues of Wigan. And Hull have so, um, I'm not I'm not sure what Wigan's situation is. They, they seem to be all over the place. So, um, they probably won't be anywhere near ready for um challenge of promotion. Hull the same. I think Peter will be up there ourselves. If we get off to a good start, you'd like to think we'll be up there. I mean, the players we bought through the the window there, O'Brien and Greg and or no, sorry, Graham and the likes, uh, hope they get the goals. Um, Oxford, you think would be up there after their their playoff playoff as well. So. Uh, it's 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 kind of wide open. It's hard to know really because even teams last season you think who wouldn't be involved in it, like Wickham, even go up. So I'd say it's quite it's quite a wide open. I guess good. And Kev, yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I think it's going to be again another tough season. Um, I think the start is very very important. I think Fleetwood might have a chance of you know being up there. Um, Oxford, yeah, I think they'll be hurting, but I think they'll be there about thereabouts. Peterborough, you know, it's hard to look any further than these teams. I think that, like, I agree with Michael, the two teams coming down, unfortunately, hold, you know, having to get rid of their, their best players. Um, and and Wigan, it, it seems like they could be moving ground as well. So you don't know how they're going to fare. Um, but, you know, I, I'd like to think that Sunderland, even, you know, even maybe, it, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's a real tough league, you know, just like the championship, having, experienced that for many years it's it's such a tough league to get out of and you know for me ultimately this season has to be the season that Sunderland get out of this league and you know again if they can get off to a flyer get the boys scoring keeping clean sheets then there's no reason once the the crowds start filtering in again you know that can help them even more to raise the bar and uh, hopefully it can be a very successful season. I think the key things to, like I say, like in the championship, well, because they're they're so tight. Where um, I think at one point last season there was like three points separated, or like second and eighth, or, or something like that. It's momentum, isn't it? You need 
you need to get that momentum going, get the first couple of wins under, and then go from there. Yeah, I, I think for me, is it would it be a disaster if they lost at the weekend? Uh, it, it wouldn't be far off it for me. Um, because, again, the pressure's straight back on, isn't it? Everyone's talking about, you know, how Sunderland missed out in the playoffs, you know, that whatever's going on in the background, and then, you know, they don't win their first game. So, you know, it'll be... It, I'm not going to call it a disaster, but it'll be, a, you know, it'll be a, not the perfect start uh, because I think the two or three games after that are quite difficult. Yeah. So Saturday, for me, is already... I would say a must-win game. Of course, that's, you can't say that first game of the season, but just to get the momentum going and, like you rightly say, you know, from my experience, you get the first win on the um, on the board, then you nick another one, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, some are on a roll, and everyone's looking at them and fearing them. That's what they need to to be this season. They need to be feared, and I think at yeah. times last season, I went to quite a few of the games and. The teams that come, even Accrington came first half, played Sunderland off the park. Uh, so, you know, that can't happen this season if they're, they're serious about promotion. Do you think sometimes the stadium, does, it doesn't help us where we are cup, we are the cup final for every team? You know, these lads who are playing Accrington Stanley every week, kind of play Fleetwood, they come to the stadium like amazing stadium, great setup. Does that play against us? Yeah, definitely, 100%. I said that when they went down to League One. You know, some of these players will never get a chance to play in a stadium like that. And, and let's not forget, you know, Sunderland was still pulling in twenty five to 30,000. So, you know, and I went to a fair few games where the atmosphere was brilliant. And, you know, as an away player, I used to love going to the places like Old Trafford and, you know, places like that, Chelsea, because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a massive arena to showcase what you're all about. And I think Sunderland certainly had to deal with that last year and at times didn't deal with it very well. So, yeah, I think it had gone against them. But I think this season now, they're, they're used to League One. They've got to forget about that and they've got to make the place a fortress. They've got to make teams fear coming to the stadium. And like Just like we did when we were flying in the Championship and the first season, two seasons in the Premier League, you, you're kind of almost looking at the players in the tunnel knowing that you've already you know, got half beaten them before they've even got on the pitch. And that's what needs to happen at the stadium like this season. Well, you, you definitely did that when you guys were playing because I remember as, as a fan, you expected to win. Um, and as, as a Sunderland fan, you're not normally used to saying that. You know, you're not expecting it every single game. But as I say, when you guys were in the Championship, we say when you absolutely hammered that league and then the two seventh spots, you go, we were going to the, to the stadium thinking, we're going to win this. And it's a great feeling. Yeah, and it is. And I think that, that season in the Championship, you know, I know for a fact we, you know, because then players used to go in the bar afterwards and the away players used to come in and, and quite often the away players would come in and openly admit saying, you know, we, we, we felt we were going to get nothing here today. You know, we just were hoping we were going to get something. So, you know, to hear that from an opposition player, that means that they feared coming to the stadium alike because we were flying now. I would love to see that back again at the stadium this year. And, that, and that's what Phil and his team, really, you know, should aim and strive to, to, to look to be doing. Do you think, Kev, though, without fans there, that it, that'll be an advantage for Sunderland or for the opposition more so? I, I think it's a level playing field. I really do uh, at the moment because, you know, I think when we, when we reconvened after COVID, you know, when we was allowed back playing, I just feel it's a level playing field. Of course, you know, the Sunderland players know the dressing room. They know, you know, the, the route to the ground. They know the stadium inside out. But once that whistle goes, 
it's just the same, the pitch is exactly the same size. So there's no influence from the crowd. So, you know, then it's over to the players, you know, to go and perform and take, take the onus upon themselves, take the game by the scruff of the neck. And, you know, you're hoping now that Sunderland's, you know, having got used to, to the league, you know, they'll forget about everything around, although there's no, obviously no crowd there. You know, they can just solely concentrate on putting in performances like they did last night against, albeit a young Villa side. But, you know, all they, all they need to do now is just concentrate on playing well. They don't need to worry about what's going on around them until at least October. That's great. Well, that's us done. Um, Kevin, what an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to the Roku Report Extra pod. If you haven't subscribed, please do so at your usual podcast points. Thanks for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.